Welcome to the Experience Focused Leaders Podcast. My name is Alex Shemalenko. I'm CEO and founder of Relate To, and we are on the mission, both with the podcast and with Relate To, to bring the most important ideas to life. And how do we do that? We do that through amazing, immersive, engaging experiences that move your organization forward, move your customers forward, and move us as a society forward. So if you love ideas, if you love bringing these ideas to life, stick around. Also, at the end of the podcast, we'll reveal how you could potentially be a guest speaker on the podcast as well. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to the Experience Focused Leaders. I am delighted to introduce to you Abhinav Kumar. He is the Chief Marketing and, and Communications Officer at TCE, TCS, Tata Consultancy Services, one of the brand and global leaders in the IT services industry, and really you know, one of the most remarkable success stories uh, to have come from India and spread around the world. Abhinav, tell us a little bit about uh, TCS and your role so that the users understand how excited I am to have you on our podcast. Alex, it's such a pleasure to be here. And I think, um, you know, I followed uh, your growth at Relate to with, um, you know, with a lot of interest and it's, it's amazing how you develop the product. So it's a pleasure to be here on this uh, podcast to talk to you about all things under the sun. And uh, I say sun because it's a rare sunny day in Brussels here. Uh, statistically, there are 200 days of rain in a year in Brussels, but it's a uh, the sun has been kind to us the last week or so. Um, coming out of a long weekend as well on this being Tuesday morning. So looking forward to a bright conversation. Um, on TCS, well, thanks for your warm words. Um, TCS, uh, let me just be, be very brief about it. Um, so we, we you know, we're a, com- we're a technology company. We do everything in terms of the latest digital technology for our clients. Um, we're a fairly large company. Uh, we have now over 600, we have 630,000 colleagues in 46 countries across the world working for um, some of the most prominent businesses in in every region of the world, right? If you take a, uh, I like to say, if you take a Fortune 1000 list and put it on a wall as a dartboard and throw a dart at it, you likely hit one of our clients. So we're helping banks, we're helping telecom companies, we're helping retail companies, manufacturing, public sector. In using technology to improve uh, customer experience, there's something close to your heart, but also in, improve how they run their enterprises. Um, and in the end, to really utilize um, and and sort of move up in cycles of technology and and utilize it to the maximum to keep becoming better and better businesses. Um, so, like I said, we're one of the largest uh, companies in this field, and it's always a pride and privilege to represent uh, this great set of engineers who are doing terrific work uh, all around the world for us. Uh, as for my role, I'm privileged to mm-hmm. look at the brand of the company in all of our international markets. So out of the 46 countries we're present in, 45 of those countries, with the exception of India, come under the remit of me and my teams. Uh, so we're responsible for the brand, for everything we do to activate the brand and its experience, whether it's events, it's um, you know customer-oriented activities, it's communications, it's uh, the work which we do with the government in terms of public affairs, all of it. And it's always a privilege to represent a brand which has, which has come out of you know um, very humble origins, to almost at the top of its industry. Um, brand finance values our brand for us. And 
about a decade ago in 2010, they had valued our brand at $2.3 billion. This year, um, that's gone up to more than $17 billion, right? So that's about almost more than sevenfold growth in the that's last amazing. Uh, 13, 13 or so years. So, uh, so, so, so that's amazing outcome. And, you know, maybe, you know, and I'm familiar with, with some of the activities that you're doing, um, you know, such as sponsoring amazing marathons, you know, in, in, you know, the, the world cities, but, you know, when you go back to kind of the fundamental purpose um, and the kind of the, the founding story of TCS, which I, I know is, you know, you, you work very, closely with, you know, the entire leadership team and in, in telling that story and inspiring with that story. What do you think makes this TCS story and the brand evolution, um, you know, work, right? What's the secret sauce? Because it is, it is remarkable uh, what you've been able to accomplish. Yeah. Um, thanks, Alex. I think, um, you know, when we reflect on it, of course, the you were talking about the marathons. We'll talk a little bit more about that because that's a key part of how we bring our brand really down uh, to have the rubber, literally the rubber of the social <laughs> meet the road. Um, but if you look back uh, at how the brand has 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 transformed itself uh, over the years, I think there have been many elements which have gone together towards it. The first and the most important part of the brand always is, and, and I say this um, every time, is Whatever we do in the marketing department to spruce up our brand is important. What is even more important is the millions of moments of truth, which, um, you know, us being a very people business, as I said, we have 630,000 engineers working on a daily basis with our customers. Many of them are based inside the customer's headquarters and their buildings. Some of them are operating for software delivery centers, but they work, you know, hand in glove very, very closely with their customers. So there are millions of conversations and experiences taking place. And how we deliver our services to our customers is what most defines our brand more than anything else, right? And uh, we've been fortunate in the sense we've had, you know, tremendous colleagues and we've had a great culture in the company of customer centricity, which um, has allowed us to, um, you know, grow the way we've, which we've grown. If you take an account team, you know, we do a good, we start with a new customer, we do a good project for them and do really great work on it, mm -hmm. which earns us the right to get the project number two and project number three with them. That's, that's really, really, really important. So, um, so you kind of, you, you if I pinpoint and it's like the, it's almost like a customer let growth strategy. So you, you, you start yeah. with, you, you, had, you yeah. kind of go to a customer, you, you work your, your behinds off, you know, to make sure that they, they have an amazing experience. Everything's delivered on time, on budget, et cetera. And then you sort of build from that relationship as a founding principle of how, how the, the success has. Yeah. And in uh, fact, occurred. in fact, you know, our, our previous tagline uh, used to be something called experience certainty, which encapsulated the promise that, you know, we would deliver our, the work, which we promised to our customers on time, on budget, and with the best quality, which is possible in this industry. Uh, which has been crucial behind our growth. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but but the point you said about the customer, it's not just the the service line delivery, but it's the full experience that the customer gets. It's from mm -hmm. the marketing touch points. It's from you know when you're selling to customers and 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 how that whole whole uh, sort of conversation and experience is curated. It's definitely once we start working with them, their experience with us, and then what do we do with our customers even outside of work and and, mm -hmm. and other things to keep strengthening that relationship. 
that I think is absolutely key. Um, so we've been very strong on the customer satisfaction part. Our, our you know, product and service speaks for itself, whether it's in terms of how analysts evaluate us or, you know, for example, right here in Europe for the last uh, more than 10 years in a row, we've been rated as number one in customer satisfaction in the, in the IT industry by white mm-hmm. research. Um, and that's, that's, that's an amazing accolade for the, for the European team to do it consistently year on year on year on year um, for over 10 years to be number one in customer satisfaction. So that's important. But how we shape the customer experience is 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 a crucial part of everything which we do in the company. Like, mm. you know, any decision which we take in the company, you're sitting in a meeting room and talking about, I don't know, entering a new country or setting up a new software center. The number one question which comes up as part of our culture in any such meeting is, which customer does this benefit? You know, if you're making mm-hmm. this move, how does this benefit our customer? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is something which has been the North Star for the company. Like literally every action you do. Um, yeah. You're right. We are hiring, we are hiring um, whatever, these 10 great people in Germany. Question is which customer and which customer accounts are we going to be, are, are going to benefit from their expertise? And I think that's that's always been a North Star and that's that's been important in in whatever we do, even in our marketing activities, right? So if we select um, an event to go to, the question mm-hmm. always is which customers can we engage with this event? What's the value we can provide to them? What's the experience we can bring to them? And uh, how do you how do you make that like it, it's it sounds great yeah. in principle, and you know obviously then you go get into huge matrix organizations with the complexity that you have where sure. there is a lot of customers, lots of uh you know possibilities sometimes and some people are motivated to succeed with their internal customers right which is yeah you know important you know if they, if they don't have the direct touch um how do you connect those dots and i'll tell you like even for us as a tiny tiny business compared to you we had to remind ourselves uh for some folks that are not directly interfacing with the customer every day like let's say on the development mm-hmm. side um um, although uh, we we engaged them, but it's sort of not as as day to day basis. We literally have uh, you know every Zoom meeting that we have, we have kind of as a team, we have a extra person entering this meeting, and their their title is relate to customer in search of wow, you know, and and it's sort of and we actually have um, you know, one of our team members animate them and have them like when, when somebody says something that sort of serves the customers. They, their heart, you know, goes up and it's sort of funny, but it's really important as well as a kind of physical, virtual, everyday reminder how we need to kind of stay um, stay focused on that. I mean, we are also very mission driven as you are so that like we, we also kind of saying, well, you know, how can this mission that we're pursuing, you know, help, you know, ultimately it helps our customers. But I think it, it it's sort of a, you know, hand in hand, it's not like, you know, only the customers that are um, that are the, the main driver, right? I think that, you know, we're helping our customers think differently. So to do that, you need to be mission driven. How do you guys, you know, address this given the complexity uh, and the size and even for your internal, for your own marketing team that you're managing across so many geographies, you know, how do you bring that, um, you know, into mm-hmm. every day? Yeah, Alex, I think we tend to underestimate the role of culture in the success or the failure of any organization, right? Um, I was, uh, I think a few weeks ago, I, I was in uh, Zurich and I met this friend of mine and we'd started our work life together. 
And um, so like me, this person has a successful career in the technology industry at another company. And we were talking and, and one of the things he said sort of um, stayed with me. He said, you know, when we are starting our career and we had just gone through MBA school and done all those, you know, classes on culture and other things. He said, I used to discount all this as fluff. This is not important. Mm. This is just, you know, what people like to say, whatever. He says, 20 years hence, I now believe that culture defines 99% of what uh, success means in the company mm. at the senior leadership level, right? And I think culture is not easy. What you said earlier about the fact that as you grow as an enterprise, you become larger and more complex as a matrix organization. You bring in new people. The original culture which you had a startup, I'm sure you're thinking about it with Relato too, coming mm. from you know a small start to now you're in a scaling stage, you're adding new people. How do you imbibe the same passion in the in employee X plus one um, as you go ahead? And it's not easy. It's something you need to consistently work on. But, you know, culture always needs reinforcement, right? Mm. Um, the example you gave in your call of constantly reinforcing it, that's important. Reinforcement is not a poster on the wall saying this is our culture. Mm. Reinforcement is, um, you know, the behaviors of the leadership team. Mm. Who do you promote? Who do you reward? What kind of activity do you incentivize? Uh, what do you celebrate? Um, what do you call out and say, this is not us and we should not be doing this and things like that. You know, I think consistently that needs to be done. So I think for me, one of the important considerations always is whenever I'm making a leadership choice inside my own teams, uh, you know, either somebody hiring somebody from outside or, or giving someone a chance to grow inside the organization, the their ability to project the culture of the company further and 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 inspire and and help other people imbibe it is an important constituent in their their getting that role right and i think but we need to keep keep working on it we're, as we grow we're adding a lot of new people uh, i think in partnership with our hr team which does a fantastic job uh, that's one of the key things that the leadership team puts its time towards that's great and so one of the one of the things that kind of you you keep you bring up is the um the sort of the tension between the kind of culture and and the, and then like the complexity right and let's say let's just take marketers uh and marketing organizations as complexity right like people outside of marketing think marketing is simple and it's just sort of like some yeah. advertising thing and it's you know and and then people inside you know a leading b2b marketing organizations like yours probably you know are taxed by the complexity of having you know different teams you know you know not just geography but specialty was in marketing right Fo folks focused on um you know top of the funnel demand uh generation the branding the you know that the branding that does link up with advertising the uh the the product marketing and solution marketing that you're developing for very specific things customer marketing and so on and um, they they require different specialties, different ex, you know different expertise, but yet culturally, um, you know they're they, they're sort of this uh, mainstream for the company culture. But are you finding different cultures within even segments of the marketing team, right? Because the the performance driven, data driven folks, you know, are probably have have a different slightly different sure. DNA than the sure. hyper creative, you know, sure. folks focusing on the copy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I'm not a culture expert, but I think when once you start to unravel culture, there are multiple layers to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I'm talking about more was the core culture in the company, which is yeah. there's certain strands of DNA which everyone needs to have, 
mm-hmm. and uh, for us it's very closely tied to 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 that customer centricity piece but beyond that there are many other different layers to it i mean you were talking about functionally you know data scientists having a certain other subculture on how they deal with each other how does the team work uh, i don't know a, a high performance sales team would have a very different culture perhaps and things like that but then there's also a regional layer um mm-hmm. i think the culture of a team which is operating in brazil would be very different from a culture of a team which is operating in japan simply by nature of the 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 people um in in that country and and what their customs are how do they communicate what the informal and um formal norms are and things like that which is all fine because you know if you're a global company you need to understand those differences and assimilate them um if you're let's say an american company and you're like we are going to have exactly this culture in um whatever in australia in in chile in in norway you're going to struggle um because you need to be able to be uh flexible enough to absorb and include different cultures mm-hmm. but what is also important is never to comp- to know what is the core of your dna and not compromise right. that i think right. that core is really really important too so it's a it's it's a mix of that i think I don't know it's almost like a federated model of culture in that sense which is important. That's that's really fascinating kind of a culture of culture you yeah. know and and I think if we even at relate to like tiny as we are we're building you know a company of founders is the way that I like to to refer to this where we are uh looking for people who were entrepreneurs who you know who know the you know how hard it is to kind of do the zero to one and so they're kind of like okay well can I go do one to one to 10 and one to a hundred, uh, but still be a founder in the mindset mm-hmm. of like, you kind of like some things have been de-risked and, you know, we, I want, but I want to be core definer of this, of the, yeah. of the yeah. culture that we're building. And I think, and, and I liked also what you, you said at the start of um, your previous point, you said, you know, from the outside marketing looks really easy. Yeah. Um, I like to joke about it with the, so the newest business in inside the Tata group, is uh, we've gone into aviation because we acquired air india in in india mm-hmm. which is a major global airline uh, it used it started off as tata airline many years back then it was nationalized by the government and finally when it was privatized the tata group bought it so whenever i meet with colleagues at air india i kind of joke about the fact that they have the same challenge as us which is everyone believes they know how to run an airline right uh, it's so easy what what's there to it it's okay there these planes and you put passengers on them and feed them and they arrive right it's a <laughs> you have no idea of the complexity which it takes to maintain the airlines to do route planning to do um the the kind of the revenue management right and the pricing and the ticketing uh people management fuel purchase which is such a big part of the 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 cost uh, uh, mm-hmm. and the financial equation in that industry similarly marketing is more and more complex every day as it has become more and more digital as there are more and more tools available i think one data point alex and um, you know you've contributed to it with relato is um, so there's this block called chief martech which uh, which mm-hmm. tracks the number of uh, marketing uh, tools which are available to the marketing function mm-hmm. and in i think 2010 there were about 150 tools which were available to us right from crm to um, anything to help with seo and advertising content management etc cetera, etc cetera. they've done the update for this year 2023 and now there are more than 11000 such tools available and growing yeah. every every day even just last month there were 1000 new tools launched in terms of generative ai so the complexity of one on one way this is fantastic because there's such there there's some fantastic new capabilities which are available to the marketing team 
in which it can use to add value to the business. But the complexity of trying to navigate this uh, technology um, stack or surface, even to, you know, if there are 11,000 tools available, even if you're a very large business, can you even evaluate 11,000 tools, right? Yeah. An average company uses something like 80 or 90 to different tools. Um, but if you ask anyone in the marketing team, they might, you ask a CM of a company, they wouldn't know they were using 40 of them, although the company is using it somewhere. It's it's already complex with that number. So well, that's I mean, let's add to this complexity. Right? Let's add to this, right? Because sure. what we see as a trend it, you know, and, and we are uh, probably bigger contributor to that than even the, the broader MarTech stack is democratization of marketing, right? And and fundamentally, yep. what we see, and you probably picked up on this is, you know, at, you know, at even, you know, somebody doing internal communications, right, which, you know, or, or you know, PR, historically have kind of were more focused on text and and you know things that are not very visual right and and now all of a sudden because the bar has gone so high in terms of getting people's attention mm -hmm. and you know maintaining that attention and converting that attention and time into some sort of behavioral change um that's becoming a global problem right like whether it's with customers uh it was internal folks and so we believe that kind of bringing in marketing grade experiences is going to be essential for many other functions that need to influence you know the rest of the organization or 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 customers or some other external sure. stakeholders sure. and and so you can't like so the question to you is like how can you even you know control that population right of of users that are sort of bringing in consumer grade tools into jobs that maybe marketing you know has influence on but but can't execute you know every content piece inside an organization with 600 sure. plus thousand I think, people i think one one of the casualties of our times is that word control needs to, has gone out of the vocabulary i don't think anyone has control what you need to do is you need to experiment and you need to collaborate um mm -hmm. with your ecosystems i think that's really 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 um, hugely important in this the um you know i think the the possibilities are a lot of new new possibilities are there but as one of the one of the things where it it kind of puts the marketing function is because you're the function which is the most outward looking right um mm -hmm. in most organizations you understand the customer the better you understand the market you understand competition through um social media which has become so important the average human on earth today is spending about three and a half hours a day on social media, right? Um, and about seven and a half hours a day on, on on some sort of a screen or the other. So, and as they're spending time on social media, they're posting content, they're posting their preferences, they're at, what are they talking about? What are they debating about? The ability to garner information and provide insights to your business is um, probably never been the, the way it is today. So I think... That is a tremendous opportunity where marketing as sort of the foreign affairs department of uh, a company, if a company That's was right. a government, uh, has a huge role to play in sort of breaking a lot of silos and, and um, you know, bringing advance warning of opportunities, market opportunities, but also of risks and challenges. Um, you spoke about democratization of marketing, which is a good thing. I think one of the things which the internet and then what has followed uh, since in terms of whether it's social media, Web3 coming up in a big way, is it has led to a democratization of many things, right? Access to information, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as we can bridge the digital divide, which is still there, by the way, in many parts of the world, the digital divide is still something which we are looking to bridge. But it's going away slowly, slowly, slowly. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's there, right? I think about seventy percent of the world now uses the internet, and um, all of these people have equal access to information. Um, m- tools, yes, there is a price point, but as the price points have been coming down. Even very small businesses have access to the same uh, power tools that, you know, the big businesses, the Fortune 100 companies of the past have had. Mm -hmm. And that is a tremendous opportunity for smaller businesses because you can today, uh, I don't know, build an ad, run a global campaign, um, target someone right across the world with your products, which you wouldn't have been able to do uh, 20 years ago because of the sheer amount of investment it would have required. Um, And for the large businesses, it's also good because, you know, competition always keeps you on your toes. So if now there is a higher level of competition, even from smaller businesses who can outmaneuver you in terms of their content strategies or their engagement strategies and things like that, you need to do a lot better than you've done in the past. So so how do you, how do you get an edge, right? Like I, I think and we are, we are, you know, as a new company, we're, you know, obsessed with giving our customers a, an edge over their competitors. You know, how do you, how do you think about that? Like, what would be advice for a vendor that like wants to, you know, help this larger organization um, compete? How do you, how do you, yeah, with I, all the noise out there, all the tools out there, right? How do you break through that and really, you know, A, deliver the value, but then B, uh, communicate that in a way that it doesn't get lost in the cacophony of, you know, 50 yeah. other tools that somebody cares about and have achieved some sort of tactical goals, let's say in marketing. Um, it seems like that's a, you know, it's something that even large organizations need yeah. to figure out. So what's your advice on kind of getting so, so there's no the noise? So let's be clear. There's no magic bullet to it, right? There's no uh, secret formula of do ABC and here you go and your business success. If there is, there may be a philosophy towards it. And I think at least I firmly believe that what really makes a difference is if you take the time to know and understand your customer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, you know, for product companies or, or retail companies, it's been through surveys, it's been through going door to door and understanding their consumers. Um, today, a lot of them, even, even those traditional companies are not doing it. Consumer product companies are actually studying consumer behavior and attitudes and uh, preferences by mining the data which they get from um, not just social media, but also the multi-channels of touch which they have with their with the consumers, right? Um, I think you need to really understand your consumers and what their preferences are, and those preferences are also changing as times go along, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of um, just one 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 facet of it, if you look at uh, consumers today, and often this is ascribed to younger consumers, Gen Z, and all of those labels. But it's not just that, it's across all categories, is um, that consumers are getting more responsible in terms of their purchases. So they're more likely to buy from you if the social values which you project are in line with what uh, is important to them. For one example, it could be the climate side of things. So companies which are being part of the solution to uh, in taking climate action have a higher chance of success with um, a lot of customers. Uh, and you need to understand that and you need to then maybe engage with them using that, right? So for example, if you're a business which is catering to that that category of customers who are really, really keen 
on seeing climate action and more likely to then engage with you or do business with you if you if you if you if you are doing things like that then your brand experience uh needs to your products need to reflect that your company's mm. behavior needs to reflect that but also some of the things that you activate from a marketing point of view need to um maybe reflect that maybe what you're doing um as part of your brand experience is not um organizing i don't know champagne party somewhere but instead you're organizing i don't know beach cleaning drives right or recovering mm-hmm. um things on from plastic and engaging people in in those activities and things like that so what you're saying if i if i hear this correctly is kind of make sure that you're congruent with you know yes. what your audience expects you from you yeah. and then your your messaging and- and, and your business value proposition and in, in market as a marketer, how do you deliver it therefore, right? If you're delivering a marketing campaign, you know, and you're all about green tech and green yeah. this and green that, like don't show up with a bunch of paper first content. This is sort of, course, of our of story, right? I mean, because it's and this, in a sense, this is all table stakes now in one yeah. sense, right? It's a, it's, yeah. and, and, and I think the way to do it is you got to know your customers, but you also need to cons- consistently experiment maybe experiment small and see the response of that before you scale your campaign into a global one and things like that but it's always good to talk with your customers right i mean we are, we we have that um, we're fortunate in the sense that we are an enterprise business right so the the customers we work with aren't millions of customers uh, who buy at a retail level but they they are business executives who work in companies so finite set of them we have good access to them so, for example, if you're going to, you know, roll out something new um, or participate in something, it's always good for us. And we always make sure we have conversation with our customers first that, listen, um, so we're doing marathons. Listen, it's like, OK, there's Marathon X now available and we want to do it. But we'll talk to customers in the country, say, hey, we are thinking of sponsoring this. What do you think of it? And what's your um, you know, feedback to us? What should we be doing? How should we be activating it? And I think. Often just those conversations with, even if you do it with four customers or five customers, you don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, go into hundreds, gives you um, a very, very good idea of, um, it'll give you some new ideas, but it'll also tell you with what you're trying to do, how is it going to be received? Um, so I think that's that's really critical to do. And when you say customers, right? Like, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, you and I, we, we go a few years back. So I know you're kind of jetting to, you know, Davos and you're meeting. Training, training. We're, uh, as, as far as I could possible, I try to take the train inside yeah, you. Tra- but of course, training to Davos. you need to go, go across the continent. There's no choice. You do to take the flight. Yeah. <laughs> In a sustainable way. Yeah. And then you're, um, uh, you know, at the same time, you're delivering very concrete projects for mm-hmm. some of your customers so that the, the CEO, uh, you know, of, of that, you know, you know, Global 2000 does not know necessarily about the ins and out of that project delivery. So you have those types of uh, customers who are working to you with you day in and day out. How do you, you know, align your communications from the very senior executives to you know, to those folks that are kind of your direct champions and, you know, daily interaction points. And, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to communicate in, in a different yeah. way to each persona. Um, oh. And, you know, what has happened in, in, in our industry, Alex, is that historically, um, we used to deal with a finite set of personas inside any organization, right? Normally, mm-hmm. we would deal with the chief information officer, or the chief technology officer, and their departments, perhaps with the procurement department a little bit, and, and primarily work with those um sort of departments inside a company mm-hmm. and as a consequence of which 
uh, we had very high brand recall we had excellent um, sort of uh, relationships and we and that those continue till till today but what's happened with technology becoming more and more strategic in any business right i think uh, you know you take mastercard they don't call themselves a financial business or a credit card company they call themselves a technology company right um retail businesses are very tech heavy now uh, telecom companies huge everything is about technology inside it uh, you, you take any almost any industry i think the the technology part has become so crucial that it's no longer something which just the it department does but everyone has a stake in it uh, you know there was there was a survey which was done for a couple of years ago by itsma the it services marketing association mm-hmm. which kind of showed who all gets involved in a digital transformation buying decision and what it showed was that almost every persona in the company gets involved in it um in many companies the ceo gets involved in the executive committee the even board members get involved at times but uh, definitely the chief financial officer the chief marketing officer today is uh, she's spending often more on technology than the it department itself right so mm. as a, what we needed to do as a business is uh, while we keep our strong relationship with the cios is also pivot and create relationships with every layer of the um, of the executive suite and of course with each of these people you got to communicate differently because they have different needs they have a different language um you also you know you go to different places to meet uh, different people for example uh, we've been a strategic partner to the world economic forum for mm-hmm. now well 13 or 14 years and uh, that's a great place to meet with ceos and chairpersons and it's great to be there but if you're going to meet cios um it's great to be at a D- gartner expo or if you want to meet cmos then the khan lion is coming up in uh, you know a little to the south of you in khan yeah. in in a 3 weeks from now yeah uh, so i think you need to make all those choices in terms of your marketing portfolio both in terms of content and how you outlay it but also the choice of which events you need to be what are the experiences which you want to unfold um and and all of that so let's double click on the you you mentioned cmos uh, spend a lot of money on technology and sure. you know you obviously you're more b2b cmo but you have some of your you know uh customers who are you know more consumer driven business cmos and you know they're they're typically the ones that historically have gone to can lion although that's changing um so tell us a little bit about where do you see what are some trends um in terms of that spend you know uh, whether it's technology or or human you know human capital investments and especially you know right now obviously as there's some constraints on the market um you know historically marketing has not done you know super well in the in the tougher economic environment um as some other functions especially like awareness uh type of work which which has a longer time to pay off So what's your like what what do you see in general and then as yeah. the the crisis is uh you know evolving and 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 entering you know many companies what do you, how do you see that's changing over the next year or two Yeah well I think you know the big dominant trend in recent times has been really the shift towards digital in every aspect right whether it is advertising or it is content uh, or for example I think we were forced to with the with the pandemic which we had not that far ago uh even events all move towards digital i mean as a company for example we do somewhere around 700 physical events every year because we are at major trade shows we are at davos 
we hold our own events. There's a TCS summit, which is our flagship customer event and things like that. So we do about 700 of them. Obviously, with the pandemic and travel and, and, and contact coming to a close, uh, everything became online and, and digital. And I think that created a new capability in many marketing departments, some of which uh, they've continued on and, and, and today offering you know, hybrid experiences and things like that. But, but I would say the events have come back in a big way. The, on the advertising side and the content side, there's a decided shift and every year it keeps shifting more and more and more on the digital side. But there's a reason for it. As I was saying earlier, the, you know, your marketing dollars go where your audiences are. And if the average human on this planet is spending seven and a half hours in front of a screen um, and three and a half hours on social media, then that's where um, you need to go to find them, right? And whatever strategy you use, for us, for example, on social media, the platform which is probably the most important is LinkedIn because mm-hmm. we sell to business executives. LinkedIn has, uh, and I've lost count of it, I think somewhere around 800 million um, active users currently. And probably about 85 to 90% of um, our uh, you know target uh, target consumers are are, def- are on it and it, and it's a useful tool in, in many ways um, so building on that so you know there we we kind of this is a channel conversation right like so but the yeah. channel and the medium that comes with the channel uh has connections right like first you know we create new communication tools and then those tools tend to shape us and how we you know expect uh information you know to be presented and to influence us and you know we um you know in talking to to our customers and various audiences um and folks on this podcast have definitely seen that uh, the human capacity to process complex information mm-hmm. um is challenged, right? Because in fact, we are spoiled by some of the social media and kind of instant gratification uh, around that. And so it's you know, like we've become trained to process easier messages. And then we need we need more help in, in the making the complex more digestible. We, you know, we, you know, we're using, you know, AI to simplify some of that complexity, but it's still not not you know not sufficient to do that overall. And you guys are delivering very complex, very sophisticated solutions to the market. So, how do you adjust, you know, the way you communicate as well as the channels, um, it, you know, in 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 tandem, right? Because it doesn't feel like you could just say, "Hey, I'm going to put through a new channel the same old stuff that we've been you can't, doing." You can't, right? I mean, every channel has a different way. Like even social media, right? Like what how you communicate on LinkedIn is very different from how you communicate on TikTok, right? Um, We've not yet gone into TikTok. I think um, some businesses have, and they're benefiting from it, and all of those things. But you know, you got to make a clear channel choice on 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 where you can play and and where your content kind of plays out. Uh, the content you'll see from us on LinkedIn is very different from the content you'll see on our Facebook channels, and of course, different on Twitter and and other things. Um, so that that's definitely a given. But what I was kind of leading to in my point as we were talking is, while the shift has definitely taken place on the marketing side. It's um, also adding an element of risk to the actual um, ability to succeed for the for the profession. And the risk which is adding is, is this is you spoke a little earlier about the pressure which marketing departments are under, you know, worldwide um, to showcase immediate results, return on investment, et cetera, et cetera. So the risk which has happened with digital platforms, is, digital platforms are very easy to measure. 
right? Um, you put a post out there and you know how many eyeballs it's had, how many shares it's had, how many people have liked it, how many people have commented on it, what's the sentiment behind the things which you're putting out. And if you can measure it, you can, you know, easily pull out a report and say, okay, we spent so much on this. Here's all the outcomes. What if for if you go to an event, for example, it may not be that easy, right? To capture the same thing. Yeah. Right? You know, so so let's say you go to Mobile World Congress, you put up a grand, fantastic stall there. You know, a lot of people notice your brand. Some may walk into your stall. Many will just look at it and notice it and put it away in their heads. You'll never be able to capture that. Um, you'll have meetings there. You, you know, you'll 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 have a few few uh, cups of coffee with the potential clients and things like that. Some parts you can measure. Some parts you know you won't know because it as you said, there's a long term return to building that brand presence and other things. Now the risk is uh, if there's a marketing um, manager who's then given a choice saying, okay, here's your budget and where do you want to spend it? There is a tendency to gravitate more towards digital simply because you can measure it, right? So are you mm -hmm. investing behind? So the question is, are you investing behind what you can measure or are you investing behind what will actually get the most returns to your business in the long term? And I think mm -hmm. in that sense, it's really important to keep the balance in the marketing craft between measurements important and it's great that we are getting stronger and better at it and, and let's do that but not to lose that gut instinct of what you know is right to do for your brand, right? Um, we, we, you, you spoke, uh, you mentioned it earlier, I'll, I'll get into that topic now. We got uh, into a big way into sports sponsorships, mm -hmm. right? Um, and originally we started by experimenting in different sports. We were in Formula One, uh, we had a partnership with Ferrari. We used to be in cricket, we used to be in uh, pro cycling. Um, we had a team which participated in the Tour de France, et cetera. And ultimately, um, we kind of folded all that in and, and took a decision to go all in on running platforms, on marathons. And today, um, we have a pretty dominant portfolio on the marathon side. There are about 14 properties worldwide, which we are a partner to. At the top of the food chain is the TCS New York City Marathon, the TCS London Marathon, TCS Amsterdam Marathon. We are partners to Boston and Chicago, Lidingo Lopet in Sweden, to Singapore, mm -hmm. um, a couple of races in Australia, and in India with the, um, the, TCS, the, the, the Tata Mumbai Marathon and a race in Bangalore as well. So um, when we went kind of all into it, um, there, it was a gut call by our CEO then at that point of time, mm. saying that this is going to be great for my business, right? And we hadn't, um, there was no way of knowing what it's going to look like five years, six years, eight years from now. But now that we are, about now 12 years into this strategy, um, I can tell you it's it's paying immense dividends for us, right? So being part of these properties has done a lot of good for us. In one sense, um, you know, it brings our brand down to a city level. So in all mm -hmm. these cities where we have, you know, a hub of our employees and our customers and our partners, um, the brand gets noticed in a very physical way in, in these me mega cities, right? Um, we got a good, lot of goodwill there because we are supporting we are supporting the major sporting event in that city. So from the city uh, officials and um, you know the local government and even just the whole ecosystem there. Can't tell you, mm. you know, whenever I go to Amsterdam or New York and I'm having a conversation with someone, maybe on the tube or whatever, uh, and we talk about TCS, I'm I'm still surprised today how many people know us because of the marathon. That's mm. that's you know so that brand part is amazing. What's even greater is what it's done for our ecosystem. Um, so there are about 4,000 of our customers who run in these races every year. 
and about 11,000 of our own employees who run in these races every year, right? Uh, so inside our, our our customer accounts, a lot of running teams have come together of clients and our own employees who practice together, go for runs in the weekends, you know, get nutrition advice, and then they you know wear their co-branded T-shirts and they they run these marathons. Uh, so so it's kind of it's created this relationship outside of work, which is which is so 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 important in in in, in that front. It's also been a great place for us to showcase our technology. So we build the official marathon mobile app for all of these uh, races, but we've also been showcasing many things, including data analytics and uh, augmented reality and other things around these. And, um, you know, the, the value to us of these platforms has been phenomenal. But when we took the first decision to go with the, you know, our first partnership was Mumbai and our first international partnership was the TCS Amsterdam Marathon. There wasn't a lot of historical data and right. numbers and everything available saying, hey, this is a great investment to make. It was a gut call saying, you know, this is a fantastic sport. It's a participative sport uh, and we can do great things with it. Of course, due credit to all the teams who worked on this over the years because how they've activated it in a very, you know, engaging way, creating great experiences, bringing these communities in. Also doing well for uh, for the communities because part of this is a charity activation in each of these places. Mm -hmm. So we do things like maybe, you know, and we fundraise for a cancer hosp children's cancer hospital in, in Amsterdam and um, many other such things in, in each of these places. So that's actually been phenomenal for us. So, so that's actually, you know, to bring back to the core theme of the podcast, that's a, it sounds like a leadership decision to create a memorable very visceral physical you know experience you yeah. know in a company that's historically you know you would say intellectual mm -hmm. it you know not necessarily in the same in you know operating that same space and it sounds like this has been a resounding success, it's been a success. And, and, and in a sense it's been it's counterintuitive right i think in the yeah. early days you know people used to ask us what are you doing here you know in a, in a marathon because you know, normally you see apparel companies, you see the Nikes and Adidas and New Balance, etc. here or Gatorade and things around that. So it, it was a bit counterintuitive. But, you know, as we've built it um, today, I think we're, we're, we're a part of the ecosystem or actually one of the one of the one of the key pillars inside it. And that's been, you that's know, been it's, it's, it's really fascinating. We see similar parallels in the digital experience universe. I think there's some companies where you expect that they show up with great digital experiences. TCS, yeah. people yeah. expect that you guys would you, you do that, you know, and, you know, your peers, you know, technology companies like Salesforce that's in the customer experience world and so on. And so that's been our historic, historically naturally we gravitate to uh, folks that are expected um, you know, to be already leaders and, and, you know, that's been great for us. But what I'm noticing is that now we're, you know, what we, there's industries that are not known for digital experience or customer experience. And let's just say insurance as an example, yeah. right. But they have a lot of content, right. A lot of information, a lot of, you know, important uh, dense, dense messaging. And so whether they're a reinsurer or a carrier, or you know, you know, a broker. Um, we're seeing this movement to say, okay, well, we're going to get an edge on our competition. We're going to mm -hmm. get an edge on customer intimacy uh, with you know digital experiences because again, th that's just core part of um, you know information heavy industry. And and then we're even finding this in the very scientific industries where there is evidence 
uh, is really important, like life sciences. But, you know, because there's so much information, so much evidence, uh, you know, you want to remove the friction for accessing that and you want to build trust. And I mean, I want to come back to the topic of trust because I feel like that's kind of an underlying theme of like a lot of what yeah. we're discussing. But we're seeing sort of industries where you do not expect that experience matters actually matters a ton because it it's either a competitive advantage or it is a uh, way to overcome some of the limitations of the kind of more traditional approaches in that industry. What what's you've been observing probably similar patterns in your customers as well. You know what what's your take on kind of sure. and I think, clear I think, innovators versus like yeah. surprises? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you know the lines are blurred. Alex, a lot, right? I mean, even between B2B and B2C, right? Um, things have been blurring. You know, every business is want, uh, wants to connect more and more with their customers and they're using digital experiences to do so. I mean, you, you talk about the non-obvious examples in insurance. I'll give you another one. As we were talking, I got this, um, you know, alert on my phone from um, B-Post, right? The Belgian Post. So they have an app which incidentally was built by TCS for them. Um which has given them new capability. So if there's, there's the parcel coming to me, they give me an advance notice that this is going to arrive tomorrow. Are you going to be home or do you want to deposit somewhere? And I can say, I'm not home, but I'll take a photo of uh, some part of the house or I say, okay, leave it at the back door here and here's the photo of it and things like that. If I don't like what I get, I can print out a, a return sort of uh, format from it. And so many other services. This is, this is uh, given them an ability for a postal service to directly connect with the consumer and and do many, many things. Um, they get a lot of data out of this, which help them optimize their routes and, and other things. Now, um, for even a his very, you know, old and legacy business like Post, uh, they're, getting, they're modernizing and looking to connect with the consumers, right? Um, more and more so. And you see that in consumer good companies, for example, like consumer good companies would traditionally sell through retail stores, right? So if you're buying a product from PNG or Unilever, you're never buying from PNG and Unilever. You would go to Carrefour here or you'd go to Walmart in the US or wherever and you'd buy it from there. Today, a lot of these brands are looking at directly engaging with consumers and, and the best way to do it is through experiences or contests or things like that uh, and providing things um, and all of that. And, and I think uh, that's great because anything which um, helps you understand your consumers better and build better products for them, better services for them is beneficial both ways um, to the business. For uh, for us, yes, experiences are hugely important because of that word you used, um, trust, right? Because mm -hmm. end of the day, you know, somebody in our, in the next customer we're going to get, there are a bunch of executives sitting somewhere and um, deciding to award us a project. It could be a big one, 50 million or 100 million euro project. And in awarding us this project, they're in a sense almost betting their company, right? Because in digital transformation, the move which you make is either going to take your business forward or if 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 it fails, it can actually bring your business down today. That era where, you know, in the in the 1990s and, and early 2000s where you used to have these big ERP implementations that would go on for eight years or nine years. And at the end of it, many of them would fail and the business would still keep carrying on without any impact to it. Uh, that's over, right? Because literally now the core business model of the company is embedded or technology is embedded into it. So whenever somebody makes a decision to give that business to us, um, 
you know, we operate in a crowded environment. There, there are a lot of uh, companies in the technology space. And if they give it to us, um, you know, all, all companies are good, right? They have, they have some strengths, they have the products and capabilities. But the one factor which is so, so much important is trust. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trusting you with the future of your company. So I'm trusting on the fact that you're going to, you know, deliver what you said you're going to deliver. You're going to work with me. If we have problems, we're going to, you know, you're committed to me and and, and you will make it happen. Now to, to create trust, um, Alex, you need to, I mean, the digital channels are great in, in creating content and reinforcement and brand reinforcement, or even at times connecting with new people, right? I think that's what LinkedIn and other things do. But in order to build trust, trust comes from what? Trust comes from um, familiarity, uh, but it comes from shared experiences. And, um, you know, in a, in a sense, a lot of our marketing portfolio is oriented towards creating that, right? It, the more familiar people are with us, the more shared experiences they have with us, whether it's you as a client you or a prospect, you run a marathon with us, or you've come to Davos and you've come to our uh, big reception there. Or if you've, um, you know, come to one of these big trade shows and interacted with mm-hmm. our people there, you visited us at one of our software uh, centers, whether it's in Budapest in Hungary or in Guadalajara in Mexico or somewhere in India. Uh, all of those goes towards building this asset called trust, right? Mm-hmm. And in many places when, you know, um, as I said, they're very, very, it's it's a competitive industry. Often that becomes a uh, the 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 reason why somebody chooses you they're like i'm more comfortable working with these people i trust them more the other com- company why is also good but i i think these people uh will get the job done and i'll really enjoy working with them that yeah. that becomes important it's interesting i think our take on trust is a little bit complementary yeah. to what you're describing mm-hmm. and i would say you know if you move beyond the past uh, maybe past experiences, right? That are sort of, you can't control necessarily what those are. And beyond the repetition, uh, there there is the sense that um, I think the world has changed from, you know, non-transparent communications mm-hmm. to more transparency. Uh, and like great example is, you know, if you go to a typical enterprise software, which is sort of the world that I come from website, you know, 10 years ago, you would never, get a price list, right? Never, ever, ever would you ever do it. You would never, ever, ever get a demo until you commit it to something like something ridiculous, right? That was literally the sales playbook. Like we, oh, well, you want a demo? Great. You need to give us, you know, access to this boss, that boss, et cetera, right? That was sort of the sales 101. And I, you know, as an outsider to that sales industry, I always found that a little bit you know, annoying, frankly, or sort of, I, I understood why it was happening, but it, it felt like it, it was a uh, tit, very tit for tat yeah. uh, type of relationship versus giving it forward, right? And and I think, you know, now if you go like at an average kind of product-led company, um, even if it serves an enterprise like we do, right? Like we are, you know, we are making a point that we're transparent with our pricing. And yes, if you need something custom, you know, we we do need to kind of understand your requirements and and go into that conversation and design a specific price plan for you. But we don't want to be hiding behind. Oh, go talk to a sales rep. Uh, go talk to this and that. Right now, different industries. Right, like we're a bit more productized than a service industry, obviously. But I, I like I think that's sort of one element is sort of the price transparency. The second element is 
you know, well, let's talk about how we can address this, solve this problem for you, right? And so historically, um, I, I think, you know, people are looking for a trusted partner, but the way they determine that the partner's trusted is that they sort of simplify things for them, but that also the details are there and, you know, that they are well-organized. And so we've noticed, for example, this category called digital sales rooms that we support has emerged and digital buyer experiences. And in there, um, you know, it sort of lays out, here's your solution, here's here's our solution, here's the exact, you know, product, you know, that you will be, you know, evaluating or, or, or buying. And so we're putting that out there. It's well-organized. It's uh, easy for you to access, you know, and, and check the references, check the credentials. You may not want to do all of that, right? Because you're busy and you're, um, you've got a lot on your plate and you may appreciate the summary, but you also appreciate the fact that we're not hiding behind the small print. So we believe this is a fundamental shift. And I'm curious to take, you know, to get your take on kind of how are you seeing that, you know, Sure. That I level think, of trust building emerge in your world. I think I think the expectation of consumers have changed on that far by far, right? I think uh, one of the things is the uh, the self service part is so important, which you're talking about on the product side. So if you're if you're buying a whether it's a software product or it's a content product or whatever it is, right? Um, your ability to go in there, play around with the tool, sample it, use it um, is important. If 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 you add friction right at the gate. So it's like, okay, I want to use this tool, but in order to use this tool, I need to put in my credit card and commit for three months and ta 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 Chances are you're going to not have a lot of people come in through the gate. But if you design a customer journey in which, um, you know, um, you're offering something straight up of value to the consumer mm -hmm. that you can use this product up to a certain limit. Here you go, play with it, do what you want to. Then the chances are much higher for you that once they use it, you get familiar with the tool, they find the value of it. That whenever they need to, you know, upgrade into a premium service, etc., and and with all the transparent prices, they're more likely to do it. Um, so and that, as as more and more companies have done that, I think that's now become an expectation that that is going to be a standard experience. So, if somebody has a very high friction customer journey, they're already in um, already in trouble on 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 that aspect of things. Um, so it is definitely the Netflix economy in that sense, you know, mm -hmm. want to be able to go and immediately subscribe to something um, and have the ability to also quickly get out of it, right? I think if you look at some of the app experiences which are there, um, there are many apps which kind of lock, try to lock you in and saying, okay, you know, um, but nobody likes to be really locked in uh, yeah. today. So I think that ability to get people in, but like make them feel safe that they have an easy exit and things like that. Designing that is is really really important for any any business which is primarily you know offering a digital product or a digital service um, today, and um, yeah, I mean I, just on a totally different uh, different plane. I'll tell you this experience I had last weekend. I was at a sporting event, and um, you know um, as had happened in sport, sporting events, you know you meet people, you have a drink or two, and then you need to um, find the restroom. So we went to find it and there was this, as is there in these outdoor events, there were these uh, sort of uh, those, those, those toilets, which you kind of put out there, very basic other things in there. But then we found this beautiful looking um, large uh, installation there, which uh, also had toilets, but it was just, just, just beautifully finished and done. And it had, um, uh, 
you know, a desk in front with the hostess. So I went up there and said, um, you know, are these for use by anyone? They're like, yes, you can come in. He said, in fact, we 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 are a sanitary products company. Uh, we sell toilet equipment. So if you want, you know, if you want, you can use the standard toilet over there. But if you want to use ours, there's one thing you need to do. You need to give me your email. <laughs> right. So I'm sure in a two days, I'm going to get a pitch on uh, toiletry equipment or whatever it is. But just I'm just saying that um, businesses, you know, need to think about what are the experiences which are defining. But what it made me think about is, you know, you got to now offer the standard for free. Yeah. Right. But you've got to give the option for a consumer. Sometimes a customer journey will mean, you know, they'll look at the standard and say, no, 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 no I want this straight up. Right. And have right. the ability to get it. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, consumers are not sure will be, okay, let me try the standard and let me slowly decide if I want to upgrade, not upgrade and things like that. And I think that's, this, that's what companies you think about. I think to use your metaphor, a, a, a slightly yeah. graphic word, I, I think the, what you've just <laughs> pointed out to is that it's a tragedy, uh, in my view, of a lot of modern marketing. So we're doing all these huge investments into getting customers to come to our site, right? Like we're paying, you know, S search engine marketing, we're way giving fortunes to Google and LinkedIn in your case. And you know, of uh, of folks like that, and then um, you know, typically at that that very interesting point when they got to the website, you paid for the ad, you're downloading quote unquote the ebook or the white paper, yeah. and then you you're like, and, you know, here's the here's like we're pissing away that moment uh, because we're showing up with something that's you know feels like 90s are you know calling you back right it's a you know pdf or that's sort of unreadable or you know that that's not easy to get to the right points or yeah. it's a friction in terms of okay now you have to wait you know give us your email and wait for somebody to follow up for the next two weeks you know you know and by the time that gets assigned to the to the right folks in the sales team, whereas at the moment you actually are ready, you're interested, you're kind of you're at the if, point if you, where you're ready to consume if, that experience. If right? you're taking two weeks, the moment is lost, right? Yeah. I think there's there's a lot of research on it that you know. Again, the other thing which has happened in terms of um, change in consumer behavior is consumers are more and more impatient um, yeah. because they're used to again frictionless delivery of whatever they want. Right. You you know, you can pick up your phone and order a meal at uh, clicking some buttons. And in I don't know, depending on where you're in the world and maybe in 30 minutes, your yeah. pizza or your pasta, or whatever you ordered will be here. You can transfer money in, in two seconds. You can you know, you can do things so fast that when an average consumer now comes in face of uh, an old economy experience, which is like, OK, put in your email here or fill this form here and somebody from our. Uh, sales team will get back in two weeks you're finished because they'll go on and say okay what's the alternative to this thing right uh, which i want now so got it right so um, on that note let me let me uh let's ask a few closing questions sure. um what what are what are the products or services besides relate to and besides tcs that you you use uh and love to use and you know like they feel like they're creating great experiences for for you or for your for your teams. Wow, that's uh, I'm I'm not prepared for it. I mean, I I think let me tell you the latest product I'm using um was this this thing called Shocks, which are um earphone for runners, and um it's an interesting thing because they use bone conduction technology. 
So, you know, you put them around here and it keeps your ears open. So you're aware to ambient noise while you're running or doing whatever. Um, I use them now whenever I'm, you know, at the gym or outdoors at times. But uh, it's also been great because, you know, if you're sitting in a drawing room and watching Netflix and um, your partner calls you, now you respond to them versus if you had headphones and you can't. And then you get into significant trouble. So uh, I, mean, have, I, did, I didn't plan this, but we, you and I, we discussed this last time. So I don't know if I can show the there. Oh, you there you go. There you I, go. I okay. basically, uh, when we chatted, you kind of articulated this. And I thought that's a, you know, I'm not being sponsored by shocks here. But, uh, but I thought you that was them really for some endorsement value. for this. Yeah. <laughs> value yeah. prop, especially the part about your partner not being upset about you kind of uh listening to you know a podcast or whatever and, and being distracted um so yeah this is this is this is fascinating so you're very influential at least in so that's the latest already. one i'm using but you know i think yeah. when it comes to devices i think there's nothing like um you know nothing like the iphone it's replaced everything right um it's it's your bank it's your transport with uber it's your uh work it's your uh friends everything's on this the amount of our lives, which are now run by the phone, is um, it's both phenomenal in terms of the uh, ability it gives you, and it's also a risk in terms of you know as as have been more and more studies on it is as you know the amount of screen time is growing, uh, particularly even for younger people and children, um, that has a uh, huge impact on your health and um, also you know your cognitive ability and things like that. So I think balancing that becomes important too. Got it. Yeah. Uh, next question. Name a marketing book or marketing related or communications related book that you would recommend to our audience. Um, you know, you and you know when we chatted, you always had yeah. latest research and ideas that you'd recommend. So I'd love to hear, you know, what's yeah, influenced I think you. It's been a while since I've read a marketing book because I've been reading a lot about. I was reading Chip Ward, for example, trying to understand the the you know the semiconductor industry and things like that. I think. Uh, uh, a fanta- I was talking about wellness, a fantastic book I read recently, which has also changed my attitudes a lot towards rest and sleep is Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, which, you know, it talks about the science of sleep and how important it is for overall health and things like that. On marketing, I had, um, you know, I enjoyed one of the books I read. They're sitting here. So so uh, Asian Brand Strategy, which is by Martin Roll. He's a professor whom I know. He, he always writes good stuff. But what's on my shelf, it's been for a while. I need to get down to reading it is Philip Kotler's book, that Marketing 5.0, right? Technology yeah. for Humanity. So I think that uh, he refers to a lot of stuff which we've been talking about in the podcast on, right. you know, how do you engage uh, and leverage technology, but how do you not forget that at the other end of the, the channel is is a human and how do you create experiences and how do you create trust and how do you create a relationship with that human? Um, of course, more and more, there will also be uh, AI bots at the end of your channels, uh, which is uh, which is growing. And that has, uh, we didn't talk a lot about generative AI or AI in general, but I think in, over the next few years, uh, already it's it's being a disruptive technology, but over the next few years, uh, they go, we're going to see a lot um, on the AI front in how it changes things. Um, some for the better, some adding risks. You know, a risk, for example, if you look at it in cybersecurity, now uh, the ability to weaponize AI to you know do targeted attacks on 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 company or other systems is is increasing exponentially with with some of the AI tools and all which are available. So that's one of the things we will need to watch out for. But also the the benefits of technology are tremendous. 
And actually, the, the, my, mm -hmm. my next question ties really well into this. So, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't get into your personal career journey, but it's fascinating, right? You were leading marketing efforts in Latin America for TCS and and you know, now you're here in Brussels. Um, and I, I, you know, in the context of your past and also what you're seeing was AI, right? And how AI is redefining the job of marketers and some of the challenges that they have to face. Um, what would be your career advice tips for somebody who is just, you know, starting out or is trying to build a strong bench of great marketers in their organization? You know what? What have what has worked for you and um, in your journey? Well, that might be a podcast unto itself, but I'll, I'll keep. <laughs> I'll I'll try a short one or two points. I think what's really important is to stay open and stay teachable, right? Because uh, the marketing which which maybe I did, right, or or the people who preceded me did, is very different from the marketing which the the new person coming down the chain is going to be doing, and in that sense. You know, what's really important, even even what I'm going to be doing five years from now is going to be very different from what I do today. Mm -hmm. right? And I think in that sense, always staying open and curious and learning is really, really crucial. There are great tools out there. Of course, you know, we talk about books, but I think podcasts and other things, you know, your podcast is fantastic. But on marketing, there's some great podcasts available. There's the marketing book podcast. There are a couple of CMO podcasts, which you can find Jim Stengel and all. Um, mm -hmm. And it's great to always listen and, and know what's going on and what's changing. So being open is important. The other thing about, um, you know, depends on the context of what you're doing, but in the, in the con if, you know, if you're looking to become a better marketer, it's really important to build um, empathy for uh, the differences which exist, right? So one of the advice I give to younger people in the profession is if you get the opportunity to work outside your comfort zone, let's say, you know, move to another country and mm -hmm. work there or, you know, deal with another region, deal with another industry, whatever it is, jump at it because especially early on in your career, the, you know, you have less, um, you know, you're more open to travel and movement and other things before you get tied down with other commitments. Um, it's, it's just great. Like uh, you spoke about the fact for me, it was a phenomenal experience relatively early on in my career in which um, I got to create and build up the marketing department for TCS in Latin America, initially living in Uruguay and then in Chile. Uh, we were a startup zone and then we built that operation to a sizable one. And it was phenomenal because, um, and challenging as well, right? Because when I landed in Uruguay, I was the marketing department, but I couldn't speak a word of Spanish. And, um, you know, uh, if you've lived or, or you know that part of the world, you don't go, go very far with English. So one of the first things I had to do was, you know, pick up, uh, pick up Spanish and, and quickly build the ability to work in it. And, you know, these experiences grow you. They, uh, build an appreciation for the fact that, you know, we all grow up in these bubbles and cocoons, that there's a big world out there with people um, who have, you know, who think differently, come from different cultures. And, and the more kind of appreciation you build for this diversity, I think the better you become as a leader, whether you're doing marketing or actually it's true for any other function. Great answer. And, and I agree. We do need another podcast. Um, last question. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of great marketing leaders who or, or business leaders. Who do you think, um, you know, would be a great guest for for the podcast? And who, like, along those lines, those are the people that you look up to or you work with or you you learned a lot from, either directly or indirectly, um, that are sort of driving the the thought leadership and execution in marketing 
and communications and connecting with customers broadly through through experiences and um through you know really human uh touch points uh, like who 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 inspires you and you know who should we think about for our next guest yeah i'm i'm happy to get you a list of people i can recommend some people who uh, you know to talk about it i think um in terms of shaping experiences as you said earlier right uh both the companies you don't expect who who been more traditional have really embraced digital tan- digital channels and are doing some great things uh, at the same time as you said technology companies and others are looking to create um, real life experiences and things like that so i'll be happy to share a list with you you know they're fantastic off the people. top of your head okay like what, you, what, you forced me what, to what, a name uh, why don't you go yeah. for fernando machado who used to uh, be the cmo for burger king and is now leading um, has been leading activision right so jumping from burgers to video games is a pretty interesting thing to talk about <laughs> amazing yeah. well abinav i can't thank you enough for this uh, insightful discussion so many topics so so great to just hear what you're getting inspired by what you're paying attention to and congrats huge congratulations again on your own journey and the success uh, of tcs and in, in building such a such a powerhouse brand in it services and and helping the world run better at least in all the major cities where tcs tcs is based for your marathons so thank you again and uh hope to see you soon on the podcast thanks alice such a pleasure always enjoy the conversation with you whether it's in uh, paris or virtually like this and congrats to you as well i think it's it's phenomenal what the relato team has done over the past few years and uh, the platform which you built and how it's um, evolved and i have no doubt um, we'll be hearing and seeing a lot more of uh, the not just of relato but how your ecosystem uses the the platform to create some really interesting experiences as well amazing so, from your mouth to customers ears there you there go. go thanks <laughs> take care abinav Welcome back. Alex Shivalenko here. Thank you so much for listening to Experience Focus Leaders podcast. You can learn more about us at podcast.relato.com, R-E-L-Y-T-O.com. Obviously, we would love for you to send this to people that you know who would be great speakers or just share the nuggets that you took away from this episode with your community on social. And you could learn more about what we're up to on Relato.com. You could certainly connect with me on LinkedIn where it's just very easy to spell my name. You have to have a master's in Ukrainian. It's Shevelenko, S-H-E-V-L-E-N-K-O. Would love to connect so that we can move together the way the world communicates about its most important ideas. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you next time. Bye.